0: Support for this podcast comes from MetaView. MetaView is an interview intelligence platform that helps growing, forward-thinking organisations run amazing interviews. Interviews are the most important part of the hiring process. Unfortunately, they are also the least reliable. MetaView fixes this. MetaView uses cutting-edge technology to provide talent acquisition leaders with insight about what's happening in the interview process and provides interviewers with automatic transcripts and personalised tips on how to improve their interview technique. All this means you can conduct better interviews with fairer, more reliable outcomes. Want to learn more about how MetaView can help you conduct amazing interviews? Visit metaview.ai now.
1: There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine, than in all the
0: ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 338 of the Recruiting Future podcast. It's fair to say that trends in recruiting technology are moving quickly. The events of the last 12 months have turbo-boosted some aspects of the market and radically disrupted others. So what's changed, what's accelerating and what does the future look like? My guest this week is the perfect person to ask, and was the most requested guest in the audience survey that I ran earlier in the year. Hung Lee is the editor of leading industry newsletter, Recruiting Brain Food, and a keen observer of Recruiting Technology. Hi, Hung, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Thank you for inviting me back. A pleasure to be here, man. So, I look back through the archives, and you have actually been on the show before. You're on episode 94 in June 2017.
1: What, was that five years ago? That's nearly five years ago, isn't it?
0: For those people who may not know who you are, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do?
1: Sure. Um, So, my name is Hung Lee. Um, I write a newsletter. Um, called Recruiting Brain Food. Um, and basically, this is a, a curated newsletter of recruiting content that I send out to, uh, you know, thousands of recruiters and HR people
0: uh, every week on Sunday. Now, the last time you are on the show, you were talking about trends in technology recruitment. This time, I want to talk about trends in recruiting technology. So, as someone who creates a lot of content, you've got your own weekly show where you talk to lots of different people about what's going on in the industry. We've been through a crazy 12 months, crazy things have been happening, lots of disruption in our space. What are you seeing in terms of recruiting technology? What's changed? What's developed? Where are we now? I think the... Um I mean, you can. You, there's, there's certain things that are, uh,
1: are obvious, um, but it might be worth just like outlining what they are in terms of categories. I think uh, first things first. Um, assessment technology through the roof over the last two years or so, um, but driven primarily by you know the uh, economic crisis that's followed on from uh, COVID nineteen. Um, what, uh, what this has meant is, is ultimately companies have been overloaded by applicants. Um, and so, uh, the response that they've had to adopt is to think about how can they, um, uh, probably support the recruiters that are overwhelmed by job applications. Um, how can they support those recruiters whilst at the same time, uh, providing, um, the right experience for those candidates coming in. So assessment technology has experienced, Um, a rapid adoption. I think it's been a massive shot in the arm, really, if I can use that medical (laughs) analogy, um, for that segment of recruitment tech. So anybody doing things like video assessment, online assessments, uh, psychometric testing, um, anything that basically asks a candidate to be assessed automatically um, has been, uh, that's one segment uh, that is clearly uh, in a position that has uh, really boomed over the past uh, couple of years, uh, sort of past couple of months, should I say, uh, following the pandemic. So there's some direct impact stuff, basically, Matt. Um, you know, you can see it in, in, in how companies are dealing with it. Some great case studies that have already emerged. I know you had Jeff Uden on actually um, on the podcast, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, yeah, classic example, right? I mean, he was talking about hundreds of thousands of job applications. There's no way a human being or any number of human beings could handle that volume. Um, he uh, recruiting Iceland Foods for, for instance, emergency workers and so forth. Um, you have to deal with it with uh, with technology um, and uh, and products like uh, Predictive Hire, which is what uh, Jeff used, um, uh, helped. Uh, uh, enable that company to handle those applications and make those hires, whilst also giving you know great outcomes for the uh, the candidates that have gone through it. So assessment tech number one, massive uh, sort of uptake as uh, one straight off the bat. Any
0: others that you've seen or you've been tracking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, pandemic related, but the shift to remote has completely changed the way in which we communicate. Um, you know, one of the things that is. Um, probably underreported, but it'll be obvious when you think about it. But uh, essentially, the shift to remote is also a shift from analog to digital. Um, uh, you know, if you think about all of the communications and you know connections that you're making in an uh, on-premise situation, all of those. Uh, Bits of information were typically uh, exchanged in an analog way. You know, you'd know, you have an in-person meeting or you know, you'd have a chat over the coffee machine or, or such. Um, uh, with the shift to remote, the on-premise hasn't been happening. So all of the conversations that are now happening are, 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 are happening in a digital format. Um, which means, of course, um, that um, companies are able to monitor that information. They suddenly have a massive bloom of data uh, about how their company actually operates and how information flows through their businesses. Um, and so there's a tremendous opportunity, I think, for companies to learn more about how their businesses truly operate um, and, uh, and and make better decisions as, re- as a result of it. So we're talking about organizational network analytics, I guess, um, or people analytics, um, or even if you want to narrow it down to a, a part of the recruitment process, you can talk about it in terms of like interview analytics, for instance. Um, you know, think about a lot of the, uh, the the important parts of the recruiting would be the, the face-to-face interview uh, with a candidate, you know, second, third, third stage, final stage, or whatnot. Um, but if that was an analog process, it's just basically two people in a room Um, you don't really have data that you can go with there. You have no idea what's occurred. Um, But of course, if this is now a Zoom call, um, then you can track information. um, Like how long was the interview? How many questions were asked? Who was doing the talking? Um, You know, all of that stuff suddenly becomes available to you. um, And it becomes interesting from a business point of view. You know, you might be able to identify some training opportunities there. um, Or you could identify you know, subconscious bias that's been occurring, um, uh, or you could, you know, uh, have a a better understanding as to your interview efficiency. So the shift to remote uh, has all of these kinds of second-order effects that we're we're just discovering as we go, Um, uh, but there's going to be new kind of uh, 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 recruitment tech categories emerging that I think are going to be very exciting for us to explore.
0: It's really clear now that technology is doing a lot of the heavy lifting, in talent acquisition and That's kind of really, it's really sort of accelerated because I think that many organizations, and I'm thinking back to, to to Jeff Iceland in particular here, you know, many, many organizations might not have embraced this kind of technology or this way of working or had sort of internal barriers to it, but necessity has kind of really driven that forward. And it means that these technologies are, are kind of being embraced and, and, and used. So I suppose just to sort of pick up on that and a couple of things that you said, one of the big conversations on the podcast over the last 12 months has been about automation and what we're talking here about are certain types of recruiting automation. What's your view on recruiting automation? Is it going to go further? Has it gone too far already? You know, what's the balance between humans and, and robots and where do you think we're going to get to?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate of recruitment automation. Um, I think there's a lot of, we, we overrate um, human, <laughs> human-centric human recruitment, you know. Um, what I mean by that, Matt, is that oftentimes we, you know, uh, think, oh, my goodness, the candidate's really going to, you know, not be happy with dealing with uh, a non-human interface or a non-human conversation. But we then entirely forget that candidates have been extraordinarily badly treated by human recruiters. Um, uh, you know, the, the the complaints that candidates have over the broken recruitment um, experience has, uh, you know, been, been going on decades now. Um, so I don't think when it's, it's a great defense to say, you know, a human-centric way of recruiting is necessarily superior to one that has heavy components that are automated. Um, what automation, what candidates really want is timely, prompt information uh, up until the point where they're, you know, genuinely trying to build trust relationships. So the division between the candidate journey and my sort of view of it is that when the candidate is at the top of the funnel and just entering it, no, then no one's interested that much in the human touch. They don't have time for it. They want to know uh, the information that is factual and timely. Where are they in the uh, recruitment process? Has the application been received? Is it a yes, no? Am I progressing to the next stage? Where, I am, or, uh, where am I in this recruiting funnel? Um, none of that requires human touch in my opinion. Um, it just requires the information to be delivered promptly um, and accurately. Where hum- human beings need to uh, appear is really much further back at the um, towards the middle and and, uh, and end of that funnel um, when people are seriously beginning to make decisions or thinking about making decisions that have this life-changing impact. Um, this is where you do need to have um, uh, uh, connections with the people that you know you would be working with Um, uh, you know ideally you want to be speaking with hiring managers with teammates and people of that ilk um, at that point Um, but it isn't the case that you know having automation is going to be frustrating for candidates Uh, it's much better for the candidate to know uh, information whether it's delivered by a robot or a human being just give that person that information when when the business has it
0: and what about the the concerns around the ethics of all of this so in particular, AI being used to make decisions and uh, potentially a lack of transparency within that. But also going back to your earlier comment about um, recording data within an organisation, people's privacy being protected from their employer spying literally on every word they say. Well, you know, wh- wh- where do you think the balance is? Um, I think we're
1: in a crisis, Matt. <laughs> um, and I think that we're probably going to end up not solving this problem uh, at the ethical level. Level um, simply because there isn't a clear answer as to what the right thing to do is. Um, I think different countries and different jurisdictions will behave differently on this, by the way. Um, uh, So, for instance, um, you you know, there's a a kind of a continuum, isn't there, uh, as to which uh, societies care about privacy more than others. You might see, for instance, that the countries in Europe. Um, probably have the most heightened sense of citizens' rights and employee rights and so forth at one end of privacy. Um, then you have kind of uh, countries in, in East Asia, China in particular, that you know, would have no consideration on this at all. Um, and then probably floating in the middle of that, you've got the Anglo-Saxon world, which is, yeah, sure, let's give it a, a shot, particularly in the US, uh, where a lot of these technologies come from. So I think how we deal with this ethically will be regionally different. Um, We'll have different outcomes. Um, I think we'll be wrestling with this for a very uh, very long time. Um, I'm not here to say what my opinion is on it, um, simply because I don't think my opinion is um, close to consensus um, in the region where I operate. Um, So in in plain language, um, I basically think that we should plow on ahead um, and use AI um, uh, and embrace it. Uh, even though it may be imperfect, um, again, with the, center, the main point of my argument is is that the human beings were never perfect. Um, so having a uh, you know AI free experience doesn't necessarily make it fairer. Um, in fact, um, a lot of the issues associated with AI have been based on kind of data from human recruiters that have simply been scaled up. Um, so a good example of this would be uh, a post I featured on the newsletter a couple of weeks ago, I don't know whether you saw it, um, but it was with the German business um, that a, a bunch of German journalists, actually Bavarian journalists, tested uh, video technology um, by changing hairstyles, changing, you know, backgrounds and lighting conditions and all those types of things to see whether they may be able to impact the, um, uh, the success or failure of those candidates or the scoring of those candidates. Um, and of course, you know, it came out with some remarkable bits of information. You know, if you had like three books more on your bookcase, uh, you might, uh, you know, trick the AI to thinking you're a smarter candidate and therefore improve your scoring. Um, and of course, you know, everyone jumps on to point the finger at the technology and say, look, AI is a terrible thing. We should get rid of it. Um, but if you dig a little bit deeper into the the research, um, you'll find out that the AI was trained on human recruiter behavior. Um, so it, it's simply replicating what a human being would have, decision a human being would have made um, as as, as we, we do it. So um, getting rid of the AI doesn't remove the bias. Um, it simply um, removes the responsibility of the bias. Um, it, it doesn't actually... Uh, improve the conditions of fairness for the candidate. So my view of it is uh, we need to get better at AI. We need more of it. We don't need less. Um, uh, But we are wrestling with uh, huge ethical issues Um, and different people will have different opinions as to what is right or wrong. Um, Probably I would say in Europe, if you want me to give a forecast, uh, we're going to strip out a lot of potentially useful technology um, because of legal and of these legal and ethical concerns,
0: I think that's really interesting, and I think you make such a good point there about this isn't actually necessarily about the technology itself. It's about how it's about human behaviour and understanding of the technology. And I think we're in a position where where things were already moving moving quicker than than, than human human thought could keep up with, and uh, the last twelve months has really accelerated that. So there is there is a lot of catching up to do in terms of education understanding and really thinking about the the impacts of this technology. And sadly, I'm old enough to remember um, when email was first introduced in, the, in in the workplace, and there were huge amounts of sort of uh, you know, privacy concerns, and Big Brother is watching you, and all that kind of stuff going on there. So it, it, this is nothing new in terms of technology, but obviously things are moving much faster and uh, and are much more all encompassing than they than they used to be. There's
1: there's, there's also like. Um... There's paradoxes in this debate, man. I mean, it's difficult. Again, you you know, we do need to have probably a a values driven conversation industry wide about it. Um, But, you know, the the paradox I've just come come up with here is, you know, we, we generally think that, you know, being colorblind is a bad thing, you know um that's the the consensus conversation when it comes to you know racial discrimination and what have you in the 1990s it was promoted to be the idea you know what don't see color it's not a thing treat everyone the same and everything will be tickety-boo um 20 years down the line 30 years down the line we've not moved to the point now where we say look you're kidding yourself if you're thinking you can't see color um, you will see it either consciously or subconsciously. What you need to do is recognize it as what it is and then recognize the potential biases that you might have developed as a result of these color differentials or these racial differences um, uh, that are these racial categories, should I say, uh, that exist in society. So we've got to the point now where we think, you know what, we shouldn't be colorblind in our social behavior. You know, we should recognize people's ethnic and racial identity. Um, and yet, Um, you look at how, you know, the the path of recruitment technology is going to, is like we should anonymize now. Um, uh, And I'm just thinking, okay, if we're moving down a path where we are at a social level saying we shouldn't try to be um, uh, colorblind, um, and yet the pressure on the technology guys is to say, you know what, we should, uh, you know, anonymize the data or create sort of ways in which we are not collecting this information um, then it just strikes me, you know what, uh, that's kind of going counter against the uh, the social uh, trend. Um, and at some point, we're going to have this paradox where we, we want to recognize uh, a racial uh, a categories, racial uh, uh, distinctions in society because that's the root cause of discrimination in many cases. And yet we're using technology that may not actually collect that information. Um, so... We, we've never had uh, an ethical conversation at any kind of level uh, any, that makes a difference uh, at industry level, Matt. Um, and so, you know, we will end up with these paradoxical positions and, you know, like I say, I don't think we're going to solve any of them uh, very easily. Unfortunately, it's going to be a very tough challenge.
0: No, absolutely. I think this is a conversation that that, that we're going to be revisiting numerous times over the next over the next few years. Basically, just thinking about the future while we're talking about it, as the hopefully the the world comes out of the the, the pandemic and we get to whatever normal is going to look like. Where, where do you think recruiting uh, techs gonna gonna sort of be taking us uh, taking us next? Do you think that these are long lived changes that we've been seeing, um, or will the trends go in a different direction once we're kind of out of the COVID emergency?
1: Yeah, I mean some of these things are going to be persistent. Um, I think the, uh, uh, the 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 assessment tech is more or less going to kill the multi stage interview for sure. Um, uh, you know the idea. Uh, that we're beginning to realize why we do in-person interviews. Um, and again, we've been kidding ourselves all this time that you know we're doing it because we wanted to assess for this person's capability to do the job. Um, uh, but actually, you can do that better with different ways now. You can do it better with assessment technology. You can do it better with uh, work trialing. You can do it better with uh, other signals that you can pick up um, uh, in many cases from this person's, um, you know, previous working, uh, uh, working life. Um, uh, and so a lot of the big stages uh, that we used to have in the recruiting funnel, I think, will, uh, will, will get smaller. Um, some of them might disappear altogether. Um, I do anticipate a scenario where people will get hired without a face-to-face interview ever occurring um and already this happens you know with companies that are remote first remote only uh, oftentimes the interview is, is is pretty much an irrelevant thing um it may well be provided as a way to introduce the individual to the people they may be working with um and we will change the purpose of that uh, function uh but the idea that whatever we'll use it as a way to assess capability probably is 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 on on its way out um so and that's a big chunk of the interview process Matt. you know if you count the number of minutes and hours spent doing the interview side um it's probably the predominant part of the the old recruiting funnel so um the there's going to be huge changes that i think will be persistent um uh, driven by this uh by this period
0: There's a lot of change going on, and the the need for people to to educate themselves, to learn, to to talk about talk about best practice, and really kind of come together and and communicate has never been it's kind of never been more important. And here we are with with most of the world still locked down or semi locked down. There are there are no face to face events going on anywhere, certainly at the moment. How do you think the pandemic has changed the way that people sort of learn and educate themselves? about recruiting technology,
1: yeah, it's been a big bang, hasn't it, Matt? In terms of just all of the the laggards, if you like, and I don't want to use that term in a derogatory way, but you know, really, in a dictionary definition of it, in a sense, you know, the people that you know never really embraced the idea of online community and online communication. Um, I think COVID nineteen has forced all of those folks um, to really dive into um, the, this online space. Um, and to learn that it is just another space. Um, uh, so, you know, we've seen the growth of online events. We've seen everyone's doing a webinar, everyone's doing a podcast, everyone's doing these things. Um, I'm not appalled by that. I'm looking at that thinking that's a good thing. Um, uh, you know, that gives people a lot more choice, It uh, gets people to be involved, uh, really democratizes who are the people that are organizing these things. Um, so it's not locked within, you know, a small coterie of people that sort of, if you like, can sometimes control what, pe- what is being spoken about. So I think the uh, uh, the, the blossoming of, of these online communities definitely will be um, sustained going forward. Um, I don't think there's any going back. You know, there's no scenario where people adopt technology and decide to just, you know, get rid of it and go back. Um, that doesn't seem to happen any time where there is a technology mass adoption so we're just going to plow forward Um, online communities podcasts newsletters all of these things have just
0: proliferated um, and I think uh, all the better for it. So on the topic of online communities tell everyone uh, a little bit more about Recruiting Brain Food and how they can get involved and where they can go to sign up.
1: Yeah sure so it started off as a newsletter and it's still the main thing so if you go to recruitingbrainfood.com um, you can sign up for it. Uh, it's free. Uh, it's just a weekly newsletter and all I'm doing, Matt is curating, you know, great content that I find on the internet and saying, you know what, maybe you should check this out. Um, so it comes out every, every week. Um, it's since become other things, you know, there's a, there's a really lively online community now, uh, where, you know, members can speak to each other. Um, uh, there's a video live stream I do every Friday um where we, we typically speak to community members that have got an interesting story to say and we get other people involved uh in the conversation um uh, there's there's all kinds of you know the way i see my role now matt is to is to say how can i continue to service this group of people and this ecosystem uh this recruiting ecosystem as best i can um and uh, you know the, the, the demand is always the same it's for where can I get educational content? Where can I get uh, inspirational content? Where can I connect with other professionals in the space um, and learn from them and, and become more, uh, you know, educated and uh, secure in their own, you know, profession? Um, one thing I would add to that, that as well, Matt, is one thing that COVID nineteen has really taught us that it, that we can't just sit there and be very, uh, you know, casual about our own. Uh, marketability and our own sort of e- economic uh, security. You know, we've all seen how difficult it can be um, when a complete surprise like this pandemic has been can completely, you know, wipe the slate clean for everybody. Um, so your ability to access knowledge, your ability to connect and build a network, all of those things, I think, are going to be persistent demands for everybody in the recruiting industry. Um, and hence why you know, I think recruiting brain food makes uh, makes sense to a lot of
0: people. Hung, thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure, Matt. My thanks to Hung Lee. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at RecruitingFuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.